Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, Disciples Journey. This episode will cover Doctrine and Covenants section 5. So let's jump into some historical context here. So this uh, revelation, uh, that is Doctrine and Covenants section 5, is given in March 1829. So not quite a year after the manuscript, the 116 pages of manuscript had been lost. Martin Harris's wife still uh, putting pressure on him. He still hasn't seen the plates. And so that pressure is mounting. Uh, I mentioned in the previous episode that there was a lawsuit uh, threatened, and that this is kind of coming to a head at this time. So uh, his wife has threatened to sue Joseph, has, to, has threatened to uh, hold Martin also accountable if there's not some evidence shown or if they don't uh, basically, I mean, she wants her, the money back because they had given uh, Joseph money. And so... Uh, he might have believed that if he saw the plates himself, that he would be ready to like stand uh, and go to court and like testify, right? Be a witness and say, I've seen them. But without seeing them, he wasn't maybe prepared to say that. But at any rate, he comes and approaches the prophet and says, I want to see the plates. And so he makes this request and says, well, you ask the Lord. Uh, and section five is the answer to that question, basically, of what Martin should do and if he can, if he can see the plates. So that's the, the lens through which section five needs to be seen is that that's the question that was asked. And so when we read in verses one, one through three, behold, I say unto you that as my servant Martin Harris has desired a witness at my hand, that you, my servant Joseph Smith Jr., have got the plates of which you have testified and borne record that you have received of me. Now behold, this shall you say unto him, He who spake unto you said unto you, I, the Lord, am God, and have given these things unto you, my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and have commanded you that you should stand as a witness of these things. And I have caused you that you should enter into a covenant with me, that you should not show them except to persons to whom I command you, and you have no power over them except I grant it unto you. So he's saying, Joseph, go tell him that it's not up to you. It's up to me, God. And right now I've said that it's you to stand. It's your job to stand as a witness at this time. Uh, that calling never ends, ended. Joseph, with, Joseph Smith was uh, called to stand as a witness of these things, these things being the plates. And he was doing it then. And eventually there are other witnesses. But through until up until the very end of his life, Joseph stood as a witness of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. This comes from Elder Holland. He said, Incarcerated in Carthage jail, Joseph the prophet turned to the guards who held him captive and bore a powerful testimony of the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon. Shortly thereafter, pistol and ball would take the lives of these two testators, Joseph and his brother Hiram. As one of a thousand elements of my own testimony of the divinity of the Book of Mormon, I submit this as yet one more evidence of its truthfulness. In this, their greatest and last hour of need, I ask you, would these men blaspheme before God by continuing to fix their lives, their honor, their own search for eternal salvation on a book, and by implication, a church and a ministry they had fictitiously created out of whole cloth? Tell me whether in this hour of death, these two men would enter the presence of their eternal judge, quoting from and finding solace in a book which, if not the very word of God, would brand them impostors and charlatans until the end of, until the end of time. They would not do that. They were willing to die rather than deny the divine origin and the eternal truthfulness of the Book of Mormon. And so it was in 1829, and so it was at the end of his life, that Joseph was called to stand as a witness of the Book of Mormon. 
The Lord continues talking to Joseph and tells Joseph that through him, this comes from verse 10, or really 6, six through 10, but he says, uh, this generation shall have my word through you. And Elder McConkie said, this generation shall have my word through you, section 5, verse 10. What this means is that if we are going to receive the knowledge of God, the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of salvation, and the knowledge of things we must do to work out our salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord, this all must come in and through Joseph Smith and no other way. He is the agent, the representative, the instrumentality that the Lord has appointed to give us truth about himself uh, and his laws to all men in this world and in this, and in this age. So what does that mean? It means that through the Book of Mormon, we learn those things. It means that through the priesthood that was restored to Joseph Smith, we learn those things. It means that through the Church of Jesus Christ that was restored through Joseph Smith and by Joseph Smith uh, as an agent, we learn those things. We learn the uh, the word of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, His about His divinity, about His nature. I, I particularly love verses 6 and 7 and, and combining it with verse 16. Verses 6 and 7 say, For hereafter you shall be ordained and go forth and deliver my words unto the children of men. Behold, if they will not believe my words, they would not believe you, my servant Joseph, it were po- if it were possible that you should show them all things which I have committed unto you. Physical witness isn't going to be enough if you won't believe the word of God. Verse 16 says, And now, uh, and behold, whosoever believeth on my words, them will I visit with the manifestation of my spirit, and they shall be born of me, even of water and of the spirit. What we can learn from that is that the Lord tells us that receiving a spiritual witness is what's important, and, ha- and receiving a spiritual witness is what transform us, transforms us is that when we believe his words, then we're visited with the Spirit, and then we're born of God. We're born of uh, of the water and of the Spirit. That is what changes us. So seeing the plates won't, wouldn't change us. Seeing the plates wouldn't change uh, Martin. He continued to have this this desire and this uh, some sort of need to see the plates. But what the Lord's response to him is, is that you need to have a spiritual witness. That's what's important. Now, uh, the Lord does tell um, Martin that if he repents, that he will be one of the witnesses. So here's actually the story of how the three witnesses uh, have their uh, vision, their experience to be the three witnesses. So Oliver Cowdery and David Whitner, Whitmer and Martin Harris are together praying for this manifestation. It's the time has come and nothing happens. So Martin leaves thinking it's because of him. He goes out alone. David Whitmer and Oliver Crowdery have their experience that they then testify of. Joseph goes out to find Martin. Martin says it's because of me. Joseph reminds him that he needs to pray. And as long as he's penitent, the Lord has promised him, as recorded in section five of the Doctrine and Covenants, that he would receive a witness. So he feels like he has, but he gets and he prays, he gets on his knees and prays again right then. And then he has the same experience that David Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery had. And then they get together and they record it as, and say, here's our witness and our testimony as the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon. But what it took is repentance and walking more uprightly. I command you, my servant, to repent and walk more uprightly. Yield uh, to the persuasions of men no more. He says these things to Joseph, but he also says these things to to, all, or to um, 
excuse me, Martin. And again, Martin is the man who pressed Joseph law and to get the the manuscript, who disobeyed the direct instructions, uh, the manus- and lost the manuscript. Uh, because of that, and because of what Joseph's, and because of Joseph's decisions as well, this the work of translation stopped for a time. The work wasn't frustrated, and we learned in section three that the work of the Lord cannot and will not be frustrated. But it was it was uh, stopped for a time while these men had to repent. But what's powerful to me is that Martin Harris did indeed become one of the witnesses of the Book of Mormon, one of the three witnesses, and until his dying day. He swore by that testimony. He's the only one of the three uh, witnesses to make it to and come to the Salt Lake Valley. He uh, did indeed repent. And what is powerful to me is that the mercy of the Lord can be seen in this story. Martin Harris could have lost that opportunity, but what's amazing to me about repentance and about the atonement of Jesus Christ and his love and his mercy and his arm always being extended out is that when we repent truly and are truly penitent, the blessings that were once ours that we lost because of our uh, sinful actions can be and will be ours again. Uh, I've seen and experienced that in my life, and I know that to be the truth. We see that in the way that the Lord operates when people are excommunicated from the church. When, when they repent and are fully penitent and they go through that process, uh, they have their blessings restored. They don't go back through the temple and, and they don't, they're not endowed again. They're not... Um, those, those, those blessings that were given to them uh, are restored to them. Because it's as if, in the Lord's eyes, it never happened. So Martin Harris... Uh, is penitent and he receives this revelation that as long as he's penitent he would be a witness and he does end up then being a witness to the Book of Mormon. Uh, A few of the other things just from this section uh, Joseph is told that there's going to be three witnesses. Uh, This is when he's first told this. Um, And then obviously that does come to pass. And uh, I mentioned this in the last episode or a previous episode um, about section three, just that Joseph and the other leaders of the church are and or were and are not. The men who lead us and the women who lead us and our leaders today are not perfect, whether that's in your, your ward or your stake or your area or throughout the, the church in general. They're not perfect and they never have been and they never claim to be perfect. But what they are are people who have learned to repent. They're people who have learned to tr- rely on the Lord. That in their weakness, they turn to the Lord to become better. And they make mistakes, but they know that with Christ, those mistakes can be overcome and that all things can be made whole and perfect. And again, verse 21, Now I command you, my servant Joseph, repent and walk more uprightly before me. Not the first time and not the last time in the Doctrine and Covenants that Joseph is is chastised and corrected and reminded to repent because he was not perfect. And so we should not expect perfection out of ourselves. What we should expect from ourselves is progression. We should expect that as we put in the effort every day, every day, every day, the Lord will multiply us in our uh, ability 
he'll multiply us in our ability to rely on him. He will uh, return in a in an exponential way to us what we put in. And in verses 23 through 28, the Lord tells us how that partially how that's done. And it's through humility uh, that we need to be humble and become submissive like a child. And uh, like King uh, Benjamin taught in Mosiah chapter three, right? It's the, it's, and it's the things that we've studied all the time throughout the book of Mormon and that we should be studying all the time. Remembering it's a broken heart and a contrite spirit, humility and faith uh lead us to this place where the Lord can mold us into what he wants us to be no dis, uh in spite of our flaws and imperfections at the end of section five just real uh briefly as I wrap this up the Lord tells joseph i'm gonna I'll, I'll give you the means by which to um translate the rest of the book of Mormon and he tells him that he's gonna stop for a time. And you, this is this is a time where he's not really translating already, but he's telling him there's going to be a, still a time uh, where you will not be translating, uh, and but then you'll continue. So between sections three and five, we learn that there's just going to be this space, but that the Lord would provide a way, and He does indeed do that by sending Oliver Cowdery, an educated teacher who was living with Joseph's parents, to come and be his scribe. He also then ends up being one of the three witnesses. And so we can see that the work of the Lord uh, is something that we can't comprehend. This, these are there, there are pieces in place and in motion that even in, on a small scale are, are incomprehensible to us. That he's He's making these preparations without Joseph knowing what's coming and that how these things will be fulfilled. But the Lord knows. And for us to look back on it, it becomes like, oh my gosh, how crazy cool is that? But on a grand, even grander scale, think about how amazing it is that we've talked, we, t- we touched on this in a previous episode that the Lord moved Nephi and commanded Nephi to write his small plates and to keep two records. He then prompted uh, Mormon to include those plates in his record. He then prompted Moroni to bury that all together so that Joseph could find it, so that when the 116 pages of the manuscript were lost, we didn't lose that time period. We didn't lose everything. We still got a record of Lehi and his family and how they came from Jerusalem and their lineage and their posterity. And we get to learn about Jacob and the allegory of the olive tree and these amazing things because the Lord is working in a different way than ours and in a way because he is all-powerful and omniscient, all-knowing. And that's that's the, the I mean, as I close this episode, just the thought that I want to kind of end with is this, that that's the mountain, I guess. I don't know how to explain this. Joseph is brand new to this. Joseph is brand new to the gospel. And the, the story of the Doctrine and Covenants, although there is not really a, a story, the story of the Doctrine and Covenants is the, the history of the church, right? It's the history of the uh, beginning of the restoration of the gospel. And as Joseph seeks to understand the will and mind of the Lord, he records it. As the, as the Lord shows it and shares it with him. And that's what we have as the Doctrine and Covenants. Isaiah taught that our ways are not the Lord's ways, neither are our thoughts his thoughts, right? Because he's higher than us, and so are his thoughts and his ways. Joseph, the, his, the story of the Doctrine and Covenants is Joseph and these early leaders of the church seeking to understand the mind, the will, and the ways of the Lord. And he shares some of that with us here in section 5, that he will prepare a way. 
that if we trust him and we seek for spiritual witnesses, that's his way. Physical manifestations are not his way. Spiritual manifestations are. And as you seek this week to understand what the Lord would have you understand in a spiritual way, as you seek to understand the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon and of the Doctrine and Covenants and of the restoration of the gospel and of and whether or not uh, Russell M. Nelson is a president and prophet of the, of the Lord, those answers will come to you spiritually, and that's what will allow you to uh, be born of God, even of the water and of the Spirit, and will change you into a light and into a beacon, into a vessel that the Lord can use to gather Israel, to stand as an example and as an ensign to the craziness of the world that is around us. Thank you for studying with me. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Come follow me at Disciples Journey on Facebook. Uh, Thank you for listening, and good luck on your studies this week.